Hi there, it's Guinevere Lee. I am visiting bookstores around southern Ontario to promote my Bronze Age historical fantasy novels, Orope the White Snake and Picari the Azure Fish. Stay tuned to the end of the episode to learn more about that ongoing series. On Saturday, September 24th, Noel and I will be at the Chapters in Ajax on Kingston Road, just north of Highway 401 and Highway 41, noon to 5 p.m. On Saturday, October 30th, 11 a.m. to 5 p.m., we will be at Indigo Burlington Centre at Guelph Line and Queen Elizabeth Way. Come on down to learn about my novels or to just chat about The Lord of the Rings. See you then! Hello and welcome to Rivenpaw, the only Lord of the Rings podcast that doesn't give you spoiler warnings because we think you're smart enough to know <laughs> there's going to be spoilers. I'm Guinevere Lee. And I have no idea. <laughs> also, I've just straight up been forgetting to say spoiler warnings. But, I mean... I mean, it's literally <laughs> a, an episode done, a podcast done after each episode of Lord of the Rings. So we're yeah. commenting the episode Doing itself. Doing deep analysis and predicting what we think is going to happen. Spoilers abound. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to uh, spoil all the details about episode four from season one of mm-hmm. Amazon Prime Videos, The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power. It's never going to be easy to say no, that title. It is very long. <laughs> I guess we could just call it Rings. <laughs> yeah, it's got the Rings. <laughs> Now, there's a lot to get to, so I think we yep. should just, like, jump in. Forget preambles. Scene one. Destruction. Yes. It was a great scene. <laughs> it was a great scene of Muriel having a vision, you know, in the middle of blessing the children, which finally answers the question of how did mm. Muriel get that baby, because... As far she, as I could tell, Muriel didn't have a baby. She borrowed. <laughs> <laughs> she borrowed a baby. But yeah, it's some sort of Numenorean tradition of blessing the children, which, from a cursory glance at the books, I didn't find anything. I, I don't know. No, but I'm assuming it will be like a, the wives of like, a, you know, the important families. Yeah, Like the know, wealthy families. All, all them petty lords. We'll get to that later. <laughs> Um, but yeah, anyway, so I, I, it's clearly just meant to be symbolic because she's literally holding the future of Numenor in her hands and then this huge wave comes and sucks them under. So yeah, symbolism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I just like the, the fact that they acknowledge the fact that uh, Numenor is going to be destroyed from the very beginning. I know that a lot of people know it, but like, you know, for the people that are not super into the lore, they are not super into the lore of the Lord of the Rings, and, you know, they're just only familiar with the, the like, the Peter Jackson. Well, the not only the Peter Jackson, also for the Hobbits movies, probably they don't know that, like, Numenor is going to be destroyed. So it helped the people kind of like uh, put you in the path that Numenor is going to enter in a decline and eventually, you know, the like the final of the decline will be like the destruction of the city. Well, of course, this show is still playing it as 
not a certainty. I mean, Muriel seems <laughs> pretty sure that it's going to happen, but Gladriel's like, but maybe it won't <laughs> if you come to war with me in the Southlands. Wink. Maybe this is the answer to all your problems. <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> the next scene, which is just uh, one of the guild, uh, the guild mates that was fighting with um, Halbrand, and he kind of was like a, a rallying the people against the elves in general, despite it was Halbrand, the, peop- the, the person that uh, he says. Well, friend of the elves. Yeah. And we also get to see a, a blooming romance between Eariel and Kamen, which are two characters I don't care about. <laughs> but I guess they needed to fulfill their romance quota. So we got the star-crossed lovers, because obviously Eariel is Elendil's daughter, and she's one of the faithful, and Kamen is... Farazan's son, uh, he, both of these characters are new to the show, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, they're obviously going to be on opposite sides of, you know, elves good or evil, and, you know, it's going to tear them apart or whatever. I mean, I don't know why we needed two star-crossed romances in the same show, but... Yeah, I mean, the, the romance part is whatever. I, I guess they need... A little bit other characters to have. <laughs> they to just need to pad out the background. To, to kind of like a sh- <laughs> show, like the events and the story for like a, the perspective of just the, the only yeah. f- four name characters that we know about. Anyway, like we said in the last episode, it was a good scene introducing our Farzan. Well, right now mm-hmm. he's just Farzan. He's not R yet. He's not the king yet. No. But he's gonna be. Spoilers! <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like uh, so far, I, I, I like his character in general. Yeah, the, the only thing that rubbed me a little wrong in this scene is the way that they are voicing their concerns about the elves. I mean, he literally goes on a speech about how the elves are going to come to Numenor and take their jobs. Take their jobs. And, you know, elves don't sleep and they... They They don't eat, don't get tired. And so they're going to do the job better than you and blah, blah, blah. That doesn't ring true to what the Numenorians concern or complaint was. No. Uh, I'm just going to read this quickly from the appendix in The Return of the King. Uh, The Numenorians had now become great mariners, exploring all the seas eastward, and they began to yearn for the west and the forbidden waters. And the more joyful was their life, the more they began to long for the immortality of the Eldar. So this was the seed of their downfall. Essentially jealousy. They wanted to live forever and the more powerful they became, the angrier they were that they were quote-unquote denied their rights as elven descendants to have immortality. So, I don't know, it just felt it, it felt a little bit too much like the creators were trying to shove in a real world analog, hmm. which generally speaking, I don't have too 
too much of a problem of... But it felt like they were kind of diluting the reason why the Numenorians hated the elves. Like, I mean, I, I hear you. I mean, w- one scene that I can just, like, uh, like interpret this is was more like the like the higher class of the Numenorians, the one that they are, they have more power, the ones that are more concerned about the immortality, and they kind of use the, like the pleb as an excuse for like a like a feed the fire against the elves. Maybe just Alpharazon and other novels, they're like really searching for that immortality. And probably the commoners didn't care that much, and they use the hate of the commoner for the elves kind of to like a like a feed, like the faction of like the kingsmen. I mean, I, I mean that's clearly what the show is doing. Yeah. But I mean, it still doesn't make any sense as far as the books are concerned. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they also mention Meneltarma, which is the mountain in the middle of Numenor, and there's a little bit of. I don't know, geographical confusion with this show right now. That's because, I mean, where they are, which is, I'm assuming, the capital, are Menelos, which is supposed to be at the foot of the mountain, which, again, is supposed to be in the middle of the island. But the way that they kind of introduce the city is they're sailing in from the coast... It seems like they're going to Romana, which is the easternmost city, the big port city. So it seems like the TV show has kind of combined the two. Like, uh, yeah. or at least, like, I'm not getting a good geographical understanding because I don't see the mountain. I mean, I see the mountain in the wide shots when Ellendale is, like, staring at it. Yes. But I don't see it when they're in the city. So I, I mean, I I am assuming like that the the capital is where like the the palace is. Yeah, but where they are is on the coast, and how can they be on the coast if the palace is in the middle of the island? I think they combine both. Features. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I think they just. I mean, maybe it's just an added added nuisance. <laughs> to have the the two cities, I'm not sure, but yeah, I guess if the if they need to put like a split the the action between the two cities would be confusing, and they need yeah. to spend more minutes, you know, developing both. Anyway, storylines. I was it 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 kind of was confusing me, and yeah, I still don't have a good answer. <laughs> but I think basically they've just combined it. But also, when like Emilio have the the vision, mm-hmm. and the, like the, the water is kind of like a like a rushing through the palace, it kind of like a go through like a very tall mountains. Well, no, I mean the whole island is very, like I mean yeah. it's an island. It's literally <laughs> it is a mountain in the water. But, yeah, I mean obviously it's all. Mountainy, but we're talking about a massive mountain, which again, yeah. you see in the wide shots, yeah. it's there. Well, yeah. So if they're at the foot of this mountain, I mean, it should be like all those 
movies that are set in Japan, and for some reason Mount Fuji's like right fucking there, and it's the hugest thing ever. This is what yeah. that mountain would have actually looked like. And so, now we didn't have any children. Yeah, that, so. so they're not they're in Romana, but it's also Armenolus. Yeah, it's so. a little confusing. Galadriel goes to Muriel once more, mm-hmm. asking mm-hmm. for an army, and this gave me a little <sighs> mixed feelings. Uh, on one hand, there's like a cute moment with Elendil. Um, I I do I like the actor. I like the portrayal of Elendil in this show, even though it's not quite gelling <laughs> with with my understanding of his character from the books. But the scene when when he, I, I forget what Muriel says. She says something dismissive, and Ellen Deal's like, "Well, actually, we're petty lords." Yeah. <laughs> well, no, <laughs> he is—he is not a petty lord. He's literally as high a lord as you can get without being the king. I mean, literally, his house was considered. The second yeah. most powerful family on Numenor, and that's because they're directly descended from the um, the daughter of the fourth king of Numenor. He's essentially Muriel's cousin. They're you know, all cousins. They yeah, but they <laughs> they would have they would have known each other fairly well. Like. <laughs> I always just want to go back to Game of Thrones. I mean, we literally just watched a new episode. But he would be like the Tywin Lannister. Yeah. (laughs) You know, he's literally the second most powerful man on this island. So, But but in the way he tried in the show, it's like he just... Yeah, the show uh, really demoted him. Yeah, he's just a soldier. Which I guess they're trying to make, like, the rise... Like, the rise to power more incredible. Like... Oh, Isildur is just the son of a petty lord, but he will rise one day with his father's sword and cut the ring from Sauron's hand. It's like, no, he no. he was a very rich and powerful lord, <laughs> yeah. and he led armies, and, I mean, he was basically already crowned a king by the time he defeated Sauron. I, I think they're just trying to make him a little bit more... Of the people. Yeah, but he pretty much have like a blue blood. So. Yeah, so I don't know. I, it was it was cute. It kind of made me like the actor a little bit more. But at the same time, I was just like, why, why are you demoting him? That uh, annoyed me. Yeah, I I I don't know. I, I feel unnecessary. I mean, they can just give him like a. I am assuming because they give like a, this task, go and like uh, watch after the elves. So normally you don't do that with a second more powerful like a lord in the island. It's just for dramatic effect. Yeah, I agree. I don't really like it. Especially since if he is more powerful, he can be more of an opposing force uh, against the the black Numenorians. But I guess they wanted Muriel to be more the political in that like a, position, yeah. so they kind of downgraded Elendil a little bit, which yeah, it is what it is. I you know I'm not I'm not super angry about. Whatever. I mean I don't hate it how they purchase it, but it, it still is unnecessary with like a 
like a with a lot of hand. Yeah. Anyway, then uh, Muriel gets pissed and locks Galadriel mm-hmm. up, which was another funny little scene, especially since that speech of Galadriel's was in the trailer, her being all like, there is a tempest within me. You cannot contain the tempest. And then they contained the tempest. <laughs> Very much. But I, I liked that. That was kind of cute, you know. I hate it when things can get a little overly dramatic and take themselves too seriously, so it's nice that they are having a little bit of fun in this scene. Yeah, what's a cute scene? <laughs> yeah. And then we go back to Isildur taking his... I don't know, driver's test, basically. (laughs) (laughs) Trying to get his ship's license. And I realized uh, that hot captain, who, very happy to see him come back again. (laughs) But probably the last one. He's credited as Sailmaster. But no, he's only credited in two episodes. But the actor is Antonio Temayo. Uh, forgive me if I'm, I'm mispronouncing that. But he was in Spartacus, which <laughs> is one of the greatest TV series of all time. And he played Barca on that show, uh, who, who is great. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to talk about the Sailmaster for the rest of this episode. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, actually... It's like a segues that why don't like appear during the, the yeah, invasion? They, maybe they will. IMDb is famously wrong for a lot of different things, but the sh- the <laughs> scene was not about the sailmaster. The scene was about Isildur being Somehow. stupid. Which, so his plan is: I'm gonna let go of this rope, which will get me dismissed. Except when you let go of a high tension rope like that, the Chances of you physically harming someone on the ship is really high. I mean, you first because that is gonna go like a wimp, but with a strength of like a forty kilos. You could slice somebody real deep. I mean, they can just break your neck. Yeah, it's just insane that he would do that and just be like, "Oops, all oh, shucks," and then of course even more illogically. The sailmaster is then like, you're dismissed. And so are you two boys who were standing in the background. I, I mean... Casually, the two boys that grabbed the rope and saved the boat for, like, a further, like, a disaster. I guess it was because the three of them were friends, but I felt like I needed more of a scene to establish that they were, like, a bit of a clique on this ship. Like, you do have a one, the one scene in episode three of them all hanging out together... But that still doesn't feel like it would merit the sailmaster dismissing all of them. Yeah, it, it, it is felt like very a, forced. No, I mean, like it seems like it was a plot for the three of them to do that, that make absolutely it no sense. It's just kind of dumb and. It, yeah, it was. Not. I don't know. I think it would have been better to just have a scene where he just like goes to the sailmaster and quits and whatever. Maybe his friends are like. Well, we're going to go with you because we love you, Isil. <laughs> I, I mean, clearly they wanted his buddies to be in the invasion fleet because we see them volunteer at the end. But it just it felt forced. It's lazy writing to me. I, I, I mean, if you want to get the three spells, I was better that get drunk all three and get into the brawl with the capital. You know, yeah. or something like that. But like a... Uh, 
And also, Isildur's motivation is really confounding me. Yeah. Especially because the whole thing is, like, he's obsessed with going to the West, the quote-unquote real Numenor. Uh, again, they're referencing that his brother, Anarion, has maybe, like, tried to sail to the West or talked about it. Except the whole thing about sailing to the West, this was, like, the black Numenorians' main... Goal or plot. Yeah, basically... Mm-hmm. That they wanted to go and claim immortality for themselves. So the very idea of wanting to go into the West is, like, denouncing the gods, essentially. And it doesn't feel like the kind of thing Isildur would be longing for. No, in fact, like... He should be longing to go East, right? uh, Actually, when when they first mentioned, I think it was in the the third episode... My brain here is. So did I, yeah. And, and when I said, okay, so he wants to go to the east to have adventures in the Middle Earth. But no, it's like, a, where's, what? That doesn't make any sense. You want to go to the Undying Lands? But you're one of the faithful. So you know that it's forbidden. And also how, you're going to just stall a boat and go by yourself because... It's not a regular boat that go to the east, well, to the west. That's not really the problem. The problem is he shouldn't be wanting to go west at all, unless they're trying to like subtly hint that you know he's easily corruptible. Because obviously, at the end of his life, the ring does corrupt him. I but, mean, and it just it felt. It feels really weird. I don't know how else to say it. Like, it doesn't make any sense to have that as his motivation. It should be the East that he wants to visit. Yeah, because the Buddhists are, oh, I am rebellious. I don't want to follow. And then even, like, the whole scene at the end with him, like, volunteering to go East would make so much more sense if that was his goal. I know. I know it sounds like I'm nitpicking over something so stupid as the direction that he would desire to go in, but, but it has huge consequences yes. in the book, so I don't think it is a little thing. No, I mean, like, uh, I, I, I am assuming that this is not the case, but if you ask me, somebody make a mistake brightly. <laughs> it's just a typo? Yeah, it was a typo. Hey. Of course, there's no way. But actually, it's, it's the most like a logical explanation that happened. I mean, maybe. I I miss say names all the time. I, I mean to say <laughs> Ellendale and I'll say Aadendale or whatever. Like, I, 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 maybe somebody meant to say East and they said West and nobody picked it up. I don't know. But I, I, I think they try to be deep, like a too deep with this, yeah. and then end being silly. Yeah. And we also find out that Isildur's got a hang-up about his dead mother, which, fair enough, who wouldn't? <laughs> and I, I know nothing about his mother, because no. there's nothing about his mother in the book. She doesn't even have a name. Name is Woman 3. His future wife... Because, you know, when he marched into battle with his dad to defeat Sauron, he had his sons with him as well. Uh, We also don't know the name of his wife. So there's a lot of Numenorean women who don't get a mention. And I guess they figured the easiest way to deal with that would just be kill off his mother. Yeah. So I don't know what happened to her. Are there other characters that should be there for some reasons yeah. they are still alive? I don't so. know if it's going to be, like, that something that comes up again, but whatever. Anyway, them. 
we get to the scene with Adar. I have a few theories about Adar. He is... Alright, let's hear your theories. So, well... Now, are these your theories or theories you've read on the internet? Please be clear. Yeah, obviously find the fun in the internet. <laughs> so, obviously, the most of them is... Well, obviously, he's Sauron. Like, this gives him as a... You mean not Sauron, because he's not Sauron. I don't think it's Sauron, but, well... It, it, it's not impossible. They just, like, a... It's impossible. <laughs> <laughs> they argue that in the same way that they adopt like a beautiful elf, like uh, imagine to trick the elves, they can just have like a dark and corrupted one. And, well, I, and I even said that to you, like I fully accept that that's possible, but why? The question is why? And I literally cannot think of a good reason why he would want to present himself as something kind of like crippled and pathetic. This is you not pathetic. Uh, I don't know. I don't think it's something that the orcs would respect, and it's not something that would attract the elves. No, so for, I for just sure not the elves. don't understand the reasoning behind it. And that's the only reason why I don't buy it, because it just... Like, sure, he could take on whatever shape he wants, but there has to be a reason. Right, we need a justification, right? I mean, the TV show is because they look cool. <laughs> <laughs> that is the main justification. That, unfortunately, might be the justification for a lot of the things we see in this show. But, though, I don't think it is. I know that it is. He's just a lieutenant that eventually is going to come become the... Like the the brave, that actually can actually be true, but well, first of all, I need to make amends of something that I said in the last episode, and I think I I mentioned also like a, two episodes before that, that say that uh, like a, generally speaking, the elves they are like a resilient to the corruption. Well, was, I gave you a few examples where that was not true. Well, I say resilient, <laughs> and. Uh, and any elf was like actually be corrupted for the Dark Lords. But actually that was wrong. Was one elf that was corrupted for the Dark Lord. Migling was like a, an elf that uh, lived in the first age. And he was like a son of Eol. Mm-hmm. That was like a, a famous like a craftsman. And he eventually become like a, a prince of the city of Gondolin under the um, protection of like a Turgons. That was the lord of Gondolin. He was his uncle. And that's the problem. <laughs> he fell in love with his daughter, Idril. Mm-hmm. That was like a, like a, like a first cousin. <laughs> and unlike in another fantasy TV show franchise, in this one, there was not very good seeing like uh, the first causes like uh, mate each other. Which is funny when you consider the uh, the relationship between Aragorn and Arwen. But uh, and by the way, I also need that Alfarazon and Miriel, their first cousins. They're also first cousins. Yes. yes. Oh no, I, I was going to talk about that. Yeah. Way, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so he eventually was like uh, captured by the um, by the orcs and torture to like uh, be released the location of the city of Gondolin. And eventually he did, and for, I would say, grasp his loyalty, he promised that after Gondolin fall, 
he will become the ruler and also is gonna give like a, the hand of like a, his cousin as a mm -hmm. as a wife. So he did. He betrayed like a godling. He allowed like a Morgoth to arrive with his his with the orcs. And during the battle, he faced like a Tuor. That by the way, he was the husband of Idril, and he fall like in the from the walls, and like I was was meant to be dead. But how it is described, he said he fall on the flames. And obviously they didn't mention any, anything else about find his body or anything else. Yeah, so um, basically this is exactly who I was going to put forward. Yeah, going back to what he was saying about Valerian and um, basically how when he was younger he had walked or gone down the Syrian, the river Syrian. Now, of course... When Gondolin fell, that's the, the path. The, the survivors. Yeah, that's the path of the survivors took, which of course famously had the battle with uh, Glorfindel and the Balrog, <laughs> <laughs> um, because Glorfindel killed the Balrog to let the others escape and died himself, possibly to be resurrected. That's a debate for another day. <laughs> Anyway, so I I really associate going down that river as escaping Gondolin, so that made me think, okay, maybe it's a survivor from Gondolin. And yeah, Maglin just seemed like the most likely candidate, um, as in like he went down the river following them. So it's kind of nice to see that the internet... Uh, Agrees with me. So wow, they, they, they have many, many theories. Well, uh, you know what I mean. Th th that's just one that they found. Well, the other, the only other thing, really, of course, is at the mouth of Syria, and this is also where all the um, elves waited to be taken to the Undying Lands in the first place, and even the like the name Balerion comes from the Bay of Balar, which is where this island was, that the <laughs> gods put all the elves on the island and then they moved the island out west to the Undying Lands. Uh, so I thought that that might be, I don't know, maybe he was one of the elves left behind and it made him bitter, blah, blah, blah. But that's not nearly as much fun as tying it back to Gondolin, yeah. especially since that also connects him to Elrond, since it was Elrond's <laughs> grandfather was Tuor, who would have led them all down the river with Eärendil, who would have been probably still a child by that point. Yeah, um, so I think Elrond and Elros were born at the mouth of the Syrian. And like a fanfare, like a like if indeed Adar is smiling, he's gonna be the grand grand uncle of Elrond. Yes, because so, everyone is related. Yeah, everybody's cursing here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's no point in waiting. So we've already said Aragorn is the direct descendant of Elros, who is Elrond's brother, twin brother. Yeah. <laughs> and he marries Elrond's daughter. But it is a lot of generation from there. But not for... Arwen. Not for Arwen. <laughs> I, I mean, 
I know, I know it's not exactly the same, but I always had that in the back of my mind. <laughs> that, like, I mean, for, surely for Elrond it's weird, right? Because for him, it's still like, you are the descendant of my brother. So he's always going to associate this person with his brother, and then his daughter marries that guy? How can that not be weird? I mean, the Incarnate is, I think it was 25th, 25 generations. I mean, yes, it's many thousands of years, <laughs> but still, I find it mildly disconcerting. It's, a little, it's mildly disconcerting, indeed. <laughs> but, well, as, as we were talking, everybody here is... Is miracles in it, so... Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that was one of the, like, biggest mysteries that we was building up uh, so far. Obviously, it is yet for confirm, but um, I think it was a pretty solid... Uh, I think, especially the burn in the face, was a kind of like a big hint. Yeah. And of course the scene's also trying to establish orcs have feelings too. (laughs) Which I'm really not opposed to because the orcs definitely do have feelings. I mean, for a starter, if you can feel anger, you can feel other things. Yeah, and we we hear them, like, even in the books, the conversations between orcs are overheard all the time, and trolls. And they speak very much like intelligent, emotional beings, so they would definitely care about each other. Now, Adar caring about the orcs just leaves a bit of a question mark, because does he actually, like, were those sincere tears, or is this just how he manipulates the orcs? So that's, I think, going to be made a little bit more clear. To me, I, I think he was sincere. I don't know exactly what they tried to I think b- it, b- build up with that, but... I think uh, it might have been sincere, but for a different reason. Like, it wasn't sad because, oh, this orc had a, had a family and, <laughs> you know, he will be missed by his friends. I think it was more like... I think he is involved with the black arts slash the creation of the orcs. And I think it was a moment of, like, a carpenter watching one of yeah. his creations die. And, like, the disappointment. Like, oh, what a waste. I, I'm, that I'm agreeing. I don't think he actually, like, emotionally cares. No, I mean, that Thor was not his personal yeah. friend. Was more like a... For me, this is like a, a pure creator that, like, a, in his, you know, corrupted mind, he see that is yeah. perfect. So it's like, as you say, it's such a waste of life that it is going... And it's also trying to build up this idea that there's some sort of lie, some sort of secret that is being held back from all of Middle-earth, right? So I'm not sure where they're going with that. Um, I mean, obviously Sauron hates the Valar and believes that they, you know, if we got rid of the Valar, we'd be better off. So maybe it's just some kind of thing where, you know, 
the Valar actually can't be trusted and blah 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 like yeah the, the line that kind of like uh, take me a little bit like confused is when they say that I am not God yet yeah uh, I don't know if that is like a big reference at some promise of power that Sauron make to him or they try to be something else. I don't know. It kind of felt like the stereotypical evil villain wants more power. And and Sauron is gonna give me that if I sell yeah. him. Maybe. Adar says he's gonna let Arondir go to deliver yes. a message. This is another moment where I'm just like thinking about character motivations. What is the point? Of sending him with a message. We find out in the end that the message is surrender or die. Like, was that necessary? So far, he's just been digging holes under villages and just stealing everybody to be slaves. So, other than the plot needed a Rondir to be released so that he could rejoin the humans, why would he need to send a Rondir as a messenger? And it felt very weird. It's not even like one of those situations where, oh, we don't know where the humans are hiding, so we'll send him so we can follow him and find out. No, they know exactly where the yeah, humans are. We're going to go, go to the West Tower with the humans. Like, I know it's a, 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 a tower that has defenses, but surely your army of orcs could dig under the walls. Or just overwhelm it with bodies because it's, it's, just, it's a bunch of farmers. Again, lazy writing. I just don't understand why this needed to happen. And and even if you want to kind of send a message, kind of like a make it like a put fear in her heart or whatever, you don't tell the elf that is the most competent person you have. Do you send another human, like a like a like a pity soul that is yeah. gonna be all so scared, like oh you, you should surrender? And you definitely don't give the weapons back to the elf and send him on his way. <laughs> that. that was insane. <laughs> <laughs> because he didn't stole that bow. That was like a, a elven made bow and, he had the and sword. a sword also. Like, fuck off. <laughs> they did not give him his weapons back. Anyway, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Yeah. We go back to the tower first. Yeah. And uh, we get a, a cute little reference to Orodruin as uh, more of the, the refugees are coming in. And Bronwyn says that they've had people all the way from Orodruin. Well, of course, Orodruin, we know it better by a different name. It is Mount Doom that she is talking about. <laughs> so basically all the people as far north as Mount Doom have have come to this. Well, those who have escaped. So what's going on at Mount Doom? <laughs> anyway, that was I like the like that. And we probably heard the guy's name before, but the bartender slash butcher guy, his name is Waldrig. Um, which we probably only need to keep in, in our memories for another episode. Yeah, I think I'm sure he's not going to stay for long. <laughs> he's not going to be around much longer. <laughs> we get to see a little bit about how he doesn't appreciate Bronwyn's leadership, even though he doesn't have much else to offer himself. Yeah, but still, obviously. Yeah. The scene is just set up to get uh, Theo and Rowan off on their adventures. Rowan, by the way, he is played by Ian Blackburn. I 
I thought that that actor might have been the guy who played the black Numenorean, thanks to his extremely high cheekbones. <laughs> uh, but I was wrong. He he plays this kid Rowan, who is Theo's little buddy slash sidekick. I think he's the only other teenager in the Literally town. Literally <laughs> the only guy his age. So Which, you know what? I grew up on army bases. Like I totally understand his friendship with this kid. I've had that for like you don't really like the person that much, but they're literally the only other person in your age group. And is, you're is, like, is you or nobody? Well, we're gonna hang out, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, in that very scene, just suddenly, like a Theo become the alpha of the couple. Yeah, in the previous episode, it seemed very much like Rowan was kind of in charge. But then maybe since Theo took possession of the sword, he's gotten a little bit more butch. I I mean, obviously I thought it was this, but was a little too sudden. Like, suddenly you become so cocky. Well, maybe also he, because he survived the orc, so maybe he's feeling a little like... I I guess. (laughs) But yes, they completely... I mean, even the whole idea to go back to the village and and get food, like, you can tell that he's kind of excited. Like, he's found this hilt, and he knows that it's magical, because he's seen what it can do. So I think he's just kind of, like, in that excited teenage mode, like... You know, I'm gonna go test this out, kind of thing. And I'm, we're gonna be safe. I'm gonna protect us because I've got this magic sword. But yeah, they they completely like a switch the roles between yeah. between the, the couple. It's cute. I I hope to see more of those two together. Even though I I have a feeling that uh, Rowan might be heading out with Waldrig in the next episode. But, yeah, uh, I don't know. <laughs> uh, and it's also established that the orcs are very much searching for that hilt. Yes. Because as soon as he realizes Theo has it and they start hunting and you can hear the orc saying they he has it. Yeah. So it's something he, very specific that they were sent out to look for. Yeah, like like the the, the all that phase Theo immediately recognized yeah. the hills like where did you take that from? So I mean I don't know. And again we're kind of, you know, Waldrig had it in his possession. I don't know, does he have some connection to Hallbrand's family, or... Yeah. I mean, well, like, we don't have ourselves, but they they talk about later, like, uh, about the hill, so... So then we see a scene of the... Uh, we're assuming it's going to be the Forge of the Rings. Yeah, we head back to Eregion and catch up with Calembrabor and uh, Elrond. Um, actually, I, I think we got a little bit of a better look at Calembrabor's workshop in this episode. It was very Da Vinci-esque. Yeah. You know, of course... I mean, that, that crane. That fabulous crane outside. That was 100% But da Vinci's. then you see the, the little models inside, which which is what I think of of Da Vinci, because he had all these like great little models that he made of his flying machines. So, yeah, obviously they're trying to base him very much off of but but really like it makes sense to me that the architectural technology of the elves is going to be delicate and intricate you know like mm-hmm. like a very thin very yeah i don't know i want to talk to like a construction worker about the practicality of <laughs> Sir, I can tell you <laughs> that <now>. crane <laughs> it didn't look like it would have been the most practical no. <laughs> thing in the world because if if you have a spiral and you tighten the spiral the more you ratchet up the more you're going to have all this tension in the middle 
And if that snaps, you it's gonna hold like unspool. Yeah, but but the, like I put the the spiral and just directly like have a an arm connected with a. Oh yeah, with the, with the, the arm would just. Yeah, I mean, you, down. you're just having like like a like a spring movement. I mean, I, I don't know how this is gonna help. The elves are <laughs> magical, so we can just assume it works on the basis of magic. And and is is that it's pretty. What I really <laughs> would like to understand is why. The actors portraying Gil-galad and Kalembrabor are much older men, and then the actress playing Galadriel, who is a much older character, is like thirty. <laughs> That's what I would like to know. Because every time I see old man Kalembrabor, I'm just like, what is? Why? <laughs> I mean, I, I think you know the answer of that, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I definitely know the answer to that, but it's very distracting. Yeah, but it's... Anyway, it's... mildly off topic. Of course, the scene's really about Eärendil, or yeah. uh, at least discovering Elrond's relationship with his father, or his non-relationship. Yeah. you got to imagine Elrond... Barely knew his father. He was a child when his father left sailed off. He was then raised by <laughs> Theodore's sons. You know, the same son yep. who eventually throws himself onto a fire grasping the Cimmeril. <laughs> um, he's got such a fucked up childhood. Yeah, it's, it's a miracle that he, he didn't grow, have a trauma. <laughs> yeah, well... <laughs> but uh, clearly he does have a little bit of... Uh, unresolved feelings towards his father. There's a lot of, as we've mentioned before, a lot of daddy issues in this series. Yeah, all of the show have the issues. <laughs> yeah, in, in that yeah, scene... Yeah, they, they basically, like, casually mention that Eärendil, he's one of those elves with the, uh, what are they, the, the scene far off, you know? Which, of course, some elves, they can just kind of see the future, right? Yeah. And basically, in that scene, they connect with like uh, with Durin because Celebrimborn say that he's hiding something. That is like a, of course. I mean, you already know that the dwarves they're like a sealed with the with the, the the secret. So they try to be a little bit of dramatic with this, as I expect that the dwarves they are always hiding something. <laughs> you know? Yeah. They are not especially the most w- welcoming. Well, can you blame them? Up until like that point, pretty much every time the elves found a place they were living in, would just move in, kill all the dwarves, and be like, yeah. this is a great new home. <laughs> and it's empty. Can you believe it? <laughs> <laughs> but well, ob- obviously they do it like a little cheeky to like a, to set up. Like uh, the what is coming that is like uh, mm-hmm. the 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 during scenes and the like the discovering of the the yeah. mithril. And then we get uh, Detective Elrond on the case. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I liked the whole sequence. I like it when wise characters are actually shown to be wise, unlike <coughs> Galadriel. <laughs> um, so you know it was kind of nice to see him and Disa have that conversation where you know they're both smiling yeah. at each other, like but, <laughs> <laughs> but they're playing these games. Yeah. Like you know, and you know, and, and you know that they know. <laughs> yeah. Um, we're definitely never going to see those kids' faces, oh, no. by the way. That's, it's like, like a boss This enough. is just going to be an ongoing joke. Maybe it's just too terrifying to show kids with beards. I don't know. 
Or maybe they just. Oh, they that, just that, that, that is gonna be another internet like they a, didn't a rage. Deal with people freaking out online over whether or not dwarven kids should have beards or not. Yeah. So they're like, "Fuck it, we're not." Yeah, we have them. Dra- enough drama with this. Huh? <laughs> no dwarf babies for you. But anyway, yeah. So he's just going around trying to find clues, trying to find out. What in the world, Derwin? Derwin? <laughs> what what Duran is hiding, and of course he finds out that they are um, mining beneath uh, the Mirror Mirror, mm-hmm. which uh, is a lake that is on top of the Misty Mountain. Well, maybe not on top, on top, but it's like in a in a in a valley, kind of on the. Um, Eastern side of the Misty yeah, Mountains. Yeah, was just in front of the East Gate of Kandum. Yeah. Basically, when Gandalf wanted to go over the mountains in Fellowship of the Ring, well, they they wanted to avoid going into Moria, and they wanted to go over the mountains. That was their plan, was that they'd go over and down into this valley where this lake was. And Gimli was super excited at, at going to see this lake. And once they finally do get out of Moria and Gandalf dies, and then they do see the lake, and <laughs> Gimli's like, yeah, I, I thought I'd be a bit more excited to see it, but it's hard <laughs> hard to be happy when Gandalf has just died. Because that lake has like, a very interesting story. Yeah. When, like, uh, during the first, Kand was like, wandering uh, for Middle-earth, he just arrived to this lake and he saw his reflection of the lake and the stars like a form a crown over his head in the reflection of the water mm-hmm. and he saw he know that he need to make uh, his city there. Yeah, so he, down he started digging. Mm-hmm. And of course this mine, this whole great big secret, it's <gasps> Gasp Mithril! Mithral. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's cute, uh, Durin trying to, to translate it. Uh, it's funny because the um, the dwarven name of Mithril is actually like, you know, it's a great secret that they've they've never told, i.e. Tolkien just didn't bother thinking of a, a name. Because it's a secret. Secret! It's <laughs> <laughs> just like we don't know what the Cimmerils were yeah. made out of. But here, here's the niggle. They're building it up like Mithril has never been seen on Earth before, and it's this brand new exciting metal, which is unlikely that it was never seen before. Quite probably there were Mithril mines on Numenor. I also find that, but apparently that was for the the text that they like the. Christopher Tolkien release, apparently. Well, in Unfinished Tales, I found references. I, I mean, when I researched about that, they say that was un- unclear? It is a little unclear. If you go to the appendix of the Unfinished Tales and look up Mithril, it says, The metal known as Moria Silver found also in Numenor. Okay. And that's essentially the one reference to it. Like, then, like, there's a list of Numenorean kings, and one of them was known to be particularly fond of Mithril. 
that's pretty much the only other reference yeah. I could find within the unfinished tales. So it's it's in there, but it's yeah, it's not a it's not a very well established fact, and I think it is something that Christopher Tolkien expanded in his books. I don't know too much of the details. Mm. I don't particularly mind them changing no. that and and creating it as like something brand new. I mean, afterwards, without a doubt, the only place on Middle Earth, I mean, after the Second Age, the only place you could find Mithril was Moria. So, I'm I'm kind of okay with it. I mean, I mean the the discussion about this in the internet that kind of makes sense. They say that Moria was the only place where you can take significant amount of Mithril. Yeah, maybe and they could have found smaller. Yeah, places. so like a, you find traces of Mithril in other places like Numenor, but it was so little that they didn't have an impact in their economy right. or their like the, the the craftsmanship. Yeah, but but it still wouldn't have been like completely unknown. Yes. Anyway, they they decided to introduce it as a completely Exclusive. brand new. And uh, honestly, I I I'm okay with. I feel like it doesn't change too much. No. Anyway, of course, then we get uh, the cave collapse. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It ends with um, with the accident. Yeah, and then we cut back to uh, Numenor. Uh, we see more of Ariel and Kemen flirting, much to my shrug. <laughs> there you go. Look at those uh, two straight people flirting with each other. Sure is interesting to me. Yeah. <laughs> Excitement. Um, and then we get more of what I'm finding a very disturbing trend of men telling Galadriel to calm down and think. As though... Galadriel is not old or wise enough to the, figure this shit out herself. The, she has a storm on her. I really... <laughs> I was so on board for warrior princess Galadriel. Like, I was down to see her charging and, and you know, slicing trolls and all of that. Good times. But it's like... In their rush to make her this, like, strong warrior character, they literally forgot the very essence of what her character is, which is to be this very wise and ancient person. Like, and I get it in one sense that it's not very interesting to have a perfect character without any flaws. And so they wanted to, I don't know, make her a little angrier and she can't control her temper and... But I just, it doesn't... It, it really doesn't make any sense for Galadriel to have these character traits. No, absolutely. Especially considering her age. Like, it is laughable how much older she is then not only Hallbrand and Elendil, but N every... Numenor itself. But Numenor itself, every <laughs> other elf still in Middle-earth. Because again, like of all the elves that left the Undying Land, she's the only one who isn't dead or didn't return yet. And yet, for some reason, 
whole brand, <laughs> this <brat. laughs> 30-year-old nothing is explaining to her how to read people? Like, I'm insulted for Galadriel. It is so incredibly condescending and off the mark. No, I mean, they should have her as a character that have, like, a strong will and resolve to, like, defeat Morgan and her cows. But she never be rushing, because basically what she is doing now is what she is doing for the last millennia. So yeah. for her, rush is, is not a concept. It is it's no reason for her rush never. When, when you do this for that long, you'll be able to see the, the, like the big picture, you know, see like the... I feel like she should be a little bit calmer. She shouldn't be as hot-headed no. as they've made her. It doesn't feel right. She should be more cold she's and not, calculator. She's not an immature character. This is the problem that I'm having. Like, they're trying to write her as a very young elf, and she's just not. She's acting as a teenager. Yes. And he's nothing bad. And it's very <laughs> frustrating to me that she's acting like this impetuous teenager, and all these men around her are just like, oh, honey, take a breather. Like, and not even just the human, like, fucking Elrond, too. Oh, yeah, no, everybody. Like, everyone talks down to her, and it's Fucking bullshit. And actually, I have hit something brighter. Okay. <laughs> when he was in the cell, and he was kind of like a walking back and forth, mm-hmm. he was like a like a breathing super hard. And even when... Yeah, the, she's like huffing and puffing and like... I mean, when we, when we put the subtitles, yeah. the subtitles put like a heavy breathing. Yeah, yeah. And that only <laughs> made me remember... Oh, like uh, the scene of the of the fellowship when the elves make fun of Gimli because he's breathing so hard that they can be able to shoot him in the dark. Yeah. Uh, uh, like uh, implying that the elves don't make any sounds when they're breathing. Where where is her grace? <laughs> where is her grace and poise? Yeah. Like you can have a character be a badass warrior. And still have elegance. Yeah, g- g- keep the cool, you I, know? So I really don't understand. I think it's a huge misstep. No. And I, I know I and agree. I know exactly why they did it. Because they want her to have this character arc. And it's just, it, f- it feels real wedged in and I don't like it. No, because the problem is they want to have the character evolution. But the TV show is going to cover let's say, a few years, but she is... Well, they're going to be very vague over how many years they're covered in this well, show. Well, I say a few years <laughs> because the humans, they, they're not going to die of, of age. Yeah. So, like, it's going to be 10 years. Let's just, like, I speculate. But she lived millennia. So it's like, okay, during millennia, she didn't evolve at all. And then during these 10 years, yes, she's going to have... I mean... It- I'm sure if I cracked open the the nature of Middle Earth, I, I could actually calculate for you exactly how old she is to the year, because Tolkien does have oh, yeah, quite a lot of meticulous timeline keeping in that. <clears throat> but suffice to say, she was born before time was recorded in Middle Earth. So for, right? I, I'm assuming she was the born age of the trees. Like, the first age begins with the elves leaving Valinor to go after the Cimmerils. 
She was born before yeah. then. So however long she lived in the Undying Lands, even before the First Age... I mean, again, I know I could, I, if I could find that correct number, and I'm being lazy right now. But she's it's, it's thousands, thousands, and thousands. So, <laughs> but I'm really done with people talking down to her because it's like the only person that I think should be allowed to talk down to her is Gil Galad, and also he is younger than her. <laughs> and, and do it be, for the position, not for her... Yeah, because of his position, yes. he has the right to talk down to her, and she did serve him. He uh, was her king. And, and, you know, and Elrond, because he's friend, and maybe have, like, you know, the, 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 sure. the position. But fucking but, Elendil and Halbrand? Especially Halbrand. You're just a brat. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> but what's really annoying about it is that the show isn't being like, oh, they're mansplaining to her. Like, no, the men in this situation are right, and the ancient and wise elf is the impetuous yeah. teenager. I'm... And my mind is blown. Especially, they don't have contrast. They don't have moment that he show like a, like a wisdom and have a, you know... A spark of anger. She's always like that. Yeah. That 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 for me it is the problem. Literally, like I'm seeing myself as a 15 year old being portrayed on screen, and yeah. it disturbs me because <laughs> this is just wrong for Galadriel. No, it, it is. It is. Wrong. Like you could have had a character like this exist, and have her be the like slightly more mature like voice of reason who is still on the same journey, like, still trying to convince the Numenorians to listen. She doesn't have to be uh, a raging hormone monster to, like, <laughs> to be fighting this battle. I, I don't know. I, we should move on. Cause yes. We're <laughs> <laughs> getting a bit out. Okay. Anyway. Um, yeah, so... Uh, she escapes. She escapes. And then um, we cut to Ninja Elf. <laughs> <laughs> like Assassin's Creed, Elf's Creed. Yeah, yeah Numenor Edition. Uh, yeah, she like climbs the, the tower. And find the Tarpalantir that is uh, in the bed, very sick. Yeah, and we see more awful lanterns that I really question their design. <laughs> Because it's a lantern that literally has, like, a point on the bottom, so you can't set it down on a flat surface. You have to hang it. Yeah. Who designed that? That's a terrible design. <laughs> it's very uh, elfy to me. I don't know. The, the, I want to talk to the art director about <laughs> these fucking lanterns and, like... They're having fun with Have lanterns. you ever looked at a lantern before? <laughs> <laughs> I, anyway, yes, they find uh, Tara Palantir. Um... And, yeah, I mean, we already discussed that we don't know exactly what is the intention of including in the, in the show. Especially because, I mean, I, the only reason why I could think to keep him alive is that this whole vision of Numenor's destruction, essentially Tar Palantir had the vision, or at least he had a vision that... You know, he prophesied when the tree died that the kings of Numenor would die with it. You know, he was the guy who said that. When M Muriel is quoting that, like, later on, like, she's literally quoting her father. And so that is the reason why he tried to, to get his people to go but, back to the old ways and 
not not worship the elves, but you know, be friends be with the yeah. elves again and blah blah blah. And of course, his failure to do that is what essentially killed him from a broken heart. So it's like, okay, maybe have him alive in the show so that he can share that vision with Galadriel, whatever. Except Muriel just like they've changed it so the vision is in the Palantir and she just touches the Palantir. So like did we need the king alive? No. I mean my Is own... he just alive because they don't want to make Muriel queen? I don't know. What's going on here? I I think that the having a line only for make more easy um exposition. Because they're talking about the king and like a way of talking about the king they explain you all of the things. Maybe is is the only thing that make make little sense to me? I guess I don't know why. I mean, but honestly, it's like it's one of those changes where I can't figure out like, like how does this change the story? You know, and it doesn't really. No. So why make the change? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's just, I, I I I think uh, personally I think it wouldn't have made major consequences. Yeah. Later so. Even the the vision of the destruction of Numenor, it's like, it comes from the books, kind of, but yeah. it certainly wasn't such a concrete vision of like absolute destruction. That's <laughs> no, I, that was obviously for the show, but yeah. I, I, I honestly okay with that. But well, we commented in the last episode the Palantir. Mm-hmm. She say that was seven palantirs in Numenor. Yeah, and that, all of this is bullshit. And on I I, I like would well we actually talk about like indeed with the palantirs in another episode, but I keep trying to looking for more information that makes sense what she did and absolutely not. Mm. Like a uh, was many palantirs like uh, an undisclosed amount of of them in Numenor and seven was saved by Sildur yeah. when like a Numenor uh, was destroyed before Numenor was destroyed and then that Palantirs go to the middle earth and then many of them they was lost but that happened completely in the middle earth after the destruction so uh, I don't know exactly what was the yeah. intention of keep only one and also, again, those were a gift from the Eldar to Elendil's father. So a gift to the lords who were um, faithful to the elves. So, like, Muriel shouldn't even have one in her possession, really. But uh, it was not given just in the beginning, so the, the king... No, obviously. it was given to Elendil's father. Oh, for... So it's a fairly recent. Yes, well, like a very very recent one. Yeah. So. Yeah, that part obviously is something. Again, it's like you changed it from the books. It doesn't really change anything. I mean, it would if we were continuing on with the history of Gondor, because the main reason that Gondor was able to keep such a massive kingdom. working was because they had the Palantiri to communicate with each other. So without that, that's... I don't know how Gondor is going to survive. But it doesn't change (laughs) anything for this storyline. So it's like, why change it? Why, like, why even introduce it? Why not just have the vision be Tar Palantir's and that's something that he shares with Galadriel? 
I mean, other than just to have, like, a visual moment. Yes, I mean... But, I don't know, you could do that with someone's imagination. Like, I... (laughs) It just seems unnecessary and kind of... I don't know. I mean... Why? Why? I have so many questions, uh, and all of them are why. I mean, yeah, okay, what's a good scene? But the thing is, you don't even need to tell about... What, seven stones? How many stones? No. It is a palantir. Put the hands. Have the vision. Because it's like whoever wrote that scene had only read Lord of the Rings. And all they knew about the palantiri were that there were seven. And and most of them were lost. Boom. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you missed something there, buddy. I I, I, I don't know. I think they tried to maybe increase the drama making it this only one. But I don't know. Yeah. So then I have two orc words here. Yeah. I tried to find something about them. Uh, I did not. That is like a word that uh, you hear mm-hmm. in the orcs when they are they're trying speaking to the black speech. When they try to find Theon in the in the town. Uh, uh, when I Google it, the only thing that came back was the reference of the TV show. So. Yeah, um, I mean, we don't have a lot of examples of black speech from Tolkien. So I think it's clear that the TV show, they just expanded on the black speech for the series, which is fine. I mean, they got to expand on the Elven as well. This is why a lot of the Elven is really hard to translate because a lot of it is just guesswork that's kind of pulled together from other examples. And, you know, they're just trying to, like, fill in the gaps with stuff. Um, so, yeah, obviously the black speech is something that the, the show has expanded. And, and also I, I appreciate it. We talked about uh, like that before, that they try to show the orcs as a much more complex society, a complex being that mm-hmm. there was like a like a tribe to insinuate in, in the past. So they obviously need to expand the language because now they're gonna have to like talk about them between them. So uh, even you know the most of the conversation is still being English for reasons. <laughs> uh, well, that actually makes more sense with the canon because. Um, they, they, orcs did have an orc language, like separate from the black speech, they had one, but they've like okay. since forgotten it, I guess, cause they were like enslaved for so long. Yeah. So that's why they speak English in the third age is cause they literally can't remember Forgot their it. language and, and English is really, it's just the common tongue, yeah. right? But well, but I appreciate that they, they try to make it, make it a little bit more like complex beings, yeah. the, the, the orcs in general, so... But yeah, obviously, for them. whatever they're shouting, they're shouting this while they're chasing Arondir and Theo, so it's probably Nothing not, not nice. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, this brings up a, a, a great question. Uh, in episode three, we see an orc make one of the best archery shots imaginable from across a field. To to yes. an elf who, by all rights, would see that coming and literally be able to catch it. As we saw in this episode. In this episode, is exactly <laughs> what happens. But now the orcs 
have forgotten how to use their bow and arrows to the point where they're barely using them at all. Yeah, and it's, it's like, like you guys it's, it's were like, all over the place. where was that fucking crack shot from the last episode? Did you not bring him with you? <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that have like a, like a week off for that show. <laughs> I mean, it was just, I mean, I was going to say, it's the slowest chase scene ever. And oh. yeah, part of that is because it's literally in slow motion. But the real problem no, the, the, is the real, real, real motion. <laughs> is that Arondir and Theo are moving so slowly, and the orcs never catch up, and it's just maddening. Yeah, no, and how it, many it, hours it, were they running it's for? Very because frustrating. Yeah. I don't know how long Theo was hiding in that well, but it's still very much nighttime when Arondir finds him, and then they're running through the woods until daybreak. And and his leg was injured. I just yeah. cannot believe that the orcs wouldn't be able to catch up to them. No, I mean, like, a, he, not only he's a child, but also he's injured. He was, like, a tripping. He was, like, a, he was, like, walking very slow. Yeah. And they are like, a, hey, we're coming. We're <laughs> Shooting gonna ca- very badly. We're going to catch you. It's like, come on. <laughs> and I know, it was clearly just a scene to make a Rondir look cool. But the orcs just were so pathetic that it's hard to look cool yeah. against them. Like a... Like, sorry, Aaron, but, like, the bar was so low. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. These guys are just afraid to get his sunburn. So we go back to Kaza Doom at mm-hmm. that point, and they're uh, holding vigil for... Uh, well, not vigil. They're... I guess they're basically begging the mountain <laughs> to release the uh, to the dwarves who were trapped in the... And, and it kind of war because you see how, tracks. like, a... Shaking and some of the sand is making weird effects on the stones. Yeah, so. no. But wasn't that the Balrog? No. But wasn't it? The, the Balrog released the, the drawers? <laughs> no, no. Because Alron's reaction to that was like. Not, oh, this is a good thing, but that's something really freaky that just happened. And I, I think it kind of disturbed him, and he didn't really know why he felt disturbed. I can understand there was some kind of dwarf rituals that he was not aware, and they kind of like awake in the mountain, you know? I'm saying that, that the ritual itself, like them singing to the mountain, whatever, that's one thing. But the specific vibration that happens after, that's the Balrog, like, reacting to it. You think so? I think so. Mostly just because of the way Alrond reacted. The shots that they use, the angles that they have, the music that they play. They're very much trying to make it feel eerie. Like, there's something to be worried about here. So, if felt like the Balrog didn't like that. They're digging too close to his But let's say they're getting closer layer. and closer. And like wherever this cave-in was, yeah. it's extremely close to the Balrog. So even, like, even if that was a direct reaction, like if that was the mountain being like, okay, I'm going to open up the cave to let them out, well, maybe they opened up that cave and let something else out at yeah. the same time. Or at least woke something up. 
Maybe that was the moment when the Balrog got up and stretched for the first time. Yeah, maybe. But it felt very sinister to me. Yeah, and then, oh, oh, more daddy issues between, you know, Durin and Elrond. And I actually got really annoyed watching it the second time. Because he's just going on and on about his dad. I get it, Dill, great hero of the time. But he doesn't mention his mother at all. And he's all like, oh, my father single-handedly sailed to the West. Doesn't mention his mother. <laughs> like, excuse me? <laughs> his mother threw herself into the ocean with the Silmaril to protect it. And then was transformed into a bird to, like, fly to Eärendil so that they could, like, go into the, the Undying Lands together. And yeah, eventually she gets, like, wings, so she's basically like an angel. But the point is, (laughs) she goes with his father. He loses both parents in the same moment, and they both go to the Undying Lands. And yet his dad's the only one that he's concerned about. Especially because the the mother literally sacrificed herself for, for, like, the cause. Yeah. She brought the Silmaril to him. Okay, she was in the ship. She rescued the Silmaril from... Falling into Fionor's son's hands, basically. Yes. Yeah. No, but what it means, like, then <clears throat> she sacrificed herself, becoming a bird. Yeah, well, I don't know if she sacrificed herself. Well, he, he, he transforms. She does become an elf Something again. else, yeah. And then she becomes an elf with wings. She, she, it's a very that whole the her whole thing is very Greek mythology. It's very Leda and the Swan. But anyway, if she's Greek mythology, it's a tragedy. She, she <laughs> it didn't is end a tragedy well. because she never gets to see her sons again, yeah. and apparently her sons don't give a shit about her. No. So very fucking sad. Anyway, and too as, many daddy issues. Yeah, and also in that scene with the during the third. Was one thing that he said that oh, when like a a dwarf king is coronated, mm-hmm. he hear like the voice of like uh, all of the kings that was coronated behind him. Yeah, I think this is another vague reference to the whole resurrection thing. But my thing is, was only two kings before him. But not necessarily. We don't know how many kings there were. Now there were only two kings before him named Durin, but there might have been more. Kings, yes. Are you sure? Absolutely. Basically, the moniker of Durin, it was more that these kings, like some kings basically, there was something about them, that they had the exact image or whatever as as Durin the first, and so they considered it like a reincarnation no. of Durin, and so they named him Durin. Um, but but yeah, I assume that uh, also was like these descendants of but each we, other. But essentially, we don't have a family tree from before Durin the Sixth. So we really don't know if it was just like Durin, 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 or if there were others in between. Because even after the Durin the Sixth, like, it's not like his son or his son and his son were named Durin, you know? It, it, no, it wasn't. It wasn't that kind of situation. So I think it was basically. You can look at it two ways. Either it's just like any other royalty. Like sometimes you get a Durin and really? sometimes you don't. Or it's the idea that 
when some kings took the the throne, they were so similar to Durin the first that they decided to like rename him. It's it's what I assume, but but I assume that also there was like the the standard of each doing the thing of it's the debatable. next one. There's well. there's no concrete evidence. But so anyway, the only thing that annoyed me about that scene was that his throne is is turned away from the door. Which yeah, just seems like a safety issue. <laughs> I think so. It's like, a, okay, you have a nice views. But yeah, a, great view. But, but the point of the throne is, <laughs> is like audience chamber. But also, like, literally anyone can sneak up behind you. Like, you would just never have a, a chair facing away from the door. No, anyway. It's not a throne. It's just a chair. <laughs> it's a big chair. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, then... Well, we just have, like, two more scenes after that, so I, we see uh, a Rondir and Bronwyn not kissing again, mm-hmm. <laughs> even though... <laughs> I don't even know if you can cut that tension with a knife <laughs> so strong. It's so overwhelmingly smothering that I'm just like, are you seriously not kissing yet? Nope. They're waiting for, like, a when they need to separate forever. <laughs> <laughs> whatever that'll happen. Ugh. I guess they're just waiting until the last episode or whatever. Yeah. But blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, also, I couldn't help but think during that scene that was there no way to send a message from the tower to other elves? Because they clearly had a system to receive messages because in episode one, yeah. they receive a message about the retreat. So, like... I don't know, carrier pigeons? Like, did they... Uh, uh, there must have been a way to send messages. I must have there was a rider. I guess, but... But I, that, that rider came from Lindon. I don't know. <laughs> I, it just felt a little strange to me that they weren't, like, attempting to contact help. Well, or even just, like, immediately saddle up and go and find... Like, just send a messenger to Lindon. I know that would take forever, but... Yeah. If Galadriel can swim across the ocean in a night, <laughs> I'm sure someone could ride from Mordor to the coast in a day. <laughs> I... So go get a fucking messenger and go and tell the elves. Well, yeah, but I think that is going to take months. And... What is the fucking alternative? Uh, well, they... And is it? Is it? Because we haven't established distance at all. A fucking Eregion to Khazad-dûm is apparently a 30-minute stroll. It's a walk. <laughs> Time means nothing in this fucking show. And even if it did take months, who cares? You're not even going to try? It's yeah. ridiculous. Come the fuck on. So I just think, like, what are you guys doing? Like, get get the fuck out of this tower! Leave these lands immediately! Well, I mean, they don't even have food, so I don't know. That's more the reason yes. to leave. More the reason to march during the day. I don't know, whatever. Obviously, they gotta stay and fight the good fight and blah, blah, blah. I'd be out of there. They also went, like, the, the butcher told with Theon. Kind of, like, a say... Literally, that that was the sword of our master. Yeah, he he made references to that, and I wasn't entirely sure if he meant Morgoth or if he meant the king of the Southlands, like Halbrand's ancestor. Because 
he didn't use like a specific name. He wasn't like this is the sword of Morgoth, just our no. master. Well, but, but but he talked about Sauron just before. Yeah, Sauron and the king were just as much a servant to Morgoth. So, and then yeah, so they take her to the docks and they go to send her away. Yes. So and then like they when they're coming back, the trees is crying and they. They know that it's like a, a message for the, the tree that they're like going against the wheel and they, sh they need to like uh, go for the old ways and have the elves. And then it's deciding to the queen try to go with, with her or unless it's what she said that what she's happening is really like a letting an army and they're asking for volunteers for the travel and of course uh, Elendil, yes, Elendil and the Chubadis, they offer Isildur and the Chubadis uh, offer a volunteer and after that everybody else did. Yeah, it's supposed to be an uplifting ending I guess. And of course uh, Alfarazon was very pleased of the outcomes because he's going to be alone in Numenor to to reign. Boy, is he. So, when Mira come back, I guess he would have discovered that he lose the crown. Well, uh, he'll find some way to force her into marriage. Yeah, I don't know how they're going to do that. Yeah, I don't know. It feels like it's they don't want to, but they kind of have to. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, because how happening the book is like a, quite like a disgusting. So I don't know if I mean it's let's call it what it is. It's rape. Yeah, it, it is why. Yeah, <laughs> they're gonna try to. And I I understand like you're building up this strong queen of a character, and you don't want to tear her down like that. But um, I don't know. It's true to the books. Whether or not that's a good argument to do something, I don't know, but yeah. it is what it is. This is the story you guys decided to tell. So, are you going to tell the story, or are you going to make up your own? Yeah, I, I think they're going to do it, but they're going to soften up a lot. Yeah. You know, it, it's going to see a way to, like, a... It's Left. I think it's going to be more like a manipulation of, like, he's going to convince her that she doesn't have the support, and he does, and basically, like, yeah. the only way to win over the people will be to, like, make a union with him, um, but I'm, I'm not sure, I don't know how, I don't know, I don't know. Yeah, but, but that sounds right. <laughs> Certainly better than the alternative. Yes, indeed. Well, do you have anything else? No, I don't have anything else. If it is a worse road than the Redhorn Gate, then it must be evil indeed. But you had better tell us about it and let us know the worst it was. Bye. Bye.
We were the first, and we will be the last. From Morgan James Fiction comes the exciting new historical fantasy Orope, the White Snake, by Guinevere Lee. The whispers of the gods have seen the vision, the gods destroying the world in a flood because the old ways have been corrupted and forgotten. Three are chosen, Tersh, Kareth, and Shadi, to go out and warn the world. The gods must be appeased. In Orope, the White Snake, Tersh must leave her children and travel to Matawe, the kingdom in the mountains. She also must care for Kareth and keep him out of trouble. Kareth, told since birth that he is destined for greatness, has been expecting this moment. Certain that he is ready, he quickly discovers that his confidence and curiosity have a tendency to lead him into dangerous situations. Shadi finds himself traveling alone to find the people of the jungle, the Petsahalpa, the jungle seems like a paradise until he discovers the darker rituals practiced within. Samaki is a merchant who returns to Mahat to find his home destroyed, his father dead, and no one to buy his expensive cargo. With his first mate, Tuhark, the merchant struggles to move forward after his entire world has been upended. The stories of these four travelers intersect and entwine with each other as they move towards their destinations. Guided by visions, the whispers must use their wits to survive in these strange new lands that would rather use them as political pawns than listen to their warnings. Available in paperback, digital, and audio wherever books are sold. To learn more, visit GuineveerLee.com. G-U-E-N-E-V-E-R-E-L-E-E.com. And thank you for listening. Music provided by Bensound.com. Hikari, the Azura Fish, is the thrilling sequel to Orope, the White Snake. Orope introduced historical fiction fans to a unique fantasy world inspired by Bronze Age history and mythology. Hikari takes them further, going to new kingdoms and introducing new characters. The gods are still angry, but the whispers of the gods are closer than ever to saving the world from a terrible flood. Kareth is still working for the powerful Imota. Kareth hopes Imota will help him deliver his message to the ruler of Mahat. But everything changes when the sorcerer Dedelian takes an interest in him. After the winter snows have melted, Tersh decides to head into the mountain kingdom of Matawe to reach the city of Mesite. Lost in this strange land, she must rely on the help of Tuthalia, a soldier with an unknown past who plans to return home and start a family. Shadi's journey seems doomed by the death of their leader, but the Hunter case set promises to lead them through the jungle. There are sinister things in the jungle, though, and their journey is beset by disease and attacks from wild animals. Samaki sails east, a last attempt to make a good trade that will save his livelihood. The Middle Sea has changed since Samaki last sailed, though, and the waters are rife with the ruthless sea people. Continue this wonderful journey through the fantasy world of Picari, the Azure Fish, the sequel to Orope the White Snake. Ebook, paperback, and audiobook out now. You can buy it on Amazon, Chapters Indigo, Barnes and Noble, and wherever books are sold. For more information, please go to the website guineverlee.com. That is Mylene. Mangling. Mangling? Mylene. Meglin. That's a G. Yeah. Meglin. Meglin.
Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's in- invented like a language, so <laughs> I really hope I want to. Hey, on this podcast, we pronounce things how we want to. Unless I see it like a bracket in phonetic, I will read it as I wish. Yeah, well, I can open the appendixes for you, and we can go through and find out exactly how we're supposed to be pronouncing this. <laughs>